There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to Squarespace.com and use the code NERDIST. And now on with the program. Now entering Nerdist.com. No, no, just one Are you going to do ads? Seems like your show would work well for it. Audible, Audible approached me. I want to see how it goes for a little bit. I yeah, would love to time. not have to do it yeah. if I can. But it's, it's really tempting. We're experimenting. It's like, yeah, it's, it pays for you know your costs and stuff like that. It's like, <laughs> you know, whoa. Sorry. That's good. <laughs> Thank you. I had to sneeze. But we'll see. I mean, so far I'm not at the point where it's an economic hardship. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've not used up all my uh, all my space. So uh, you know, we'll see. Yeah, we're on it. We it took us about 25 episodes before we, yeah. before we were like, you know, it'd be nice to get some. You know, yeah. we do work on this. Yeah, absolutely, week. absolutely. Um, Hey, uh, Paul F. Tompkins is in my house. Oh, no. Literally, he literally, literally, is. literally, he literally in my house. In your um, house. In in my house. Uh, Paul F. Tompkins, thank you for coming to my house and being on the uh, the Nerds Podcast. Thank you for having me. I've been so excited. I've been wanting you to come on for so long, and I'm glad that you were in New York for a while, and then you moved mm-hmm. back. That's and, true. And then uh, now you tried weird. wishing on a star that I would be on the show. I did wish on a star. It's an ineffective booking policy. God damn it! Are you serious? I found out the hard way. <sighs> <laughs> no, I'm not gonna get Ian Holm on the show. <laughs> Four people are gonna know who Ian Holm is. <laughs> One of them is Ian Holm. <laughs> I was very excited to hear myself on the Nerdist podcast. That's my Ian Holm impersonator. I'm only one of two Ian Holm impersonators uh, in the Ian Northern Holm Hemisphere. Ian Holm is the other one. He's a good rendition of himself. Oh, uh, Ben Acker. Ben Acker, we could do the Thrilling Adventure Hour last night. As of this recording, that was just last that, night. Yes, but now, by the time this goes up in a, in a week Lux. or whatever, it's it'll be... Happy anniversary! <laughs> Back in 2010. <laughs> but uh, we did Thrilling Adventure Hour, which is an amazing live radio performance. Yes. And it's incredible. Um, uh, and you, you're, you're a regular on the show, yes. as is uh, Autumn Reeser, from, mm-hmm. who is in, uh, fantastic. She's terrific. Uh, as is Paget Brewster, mm-hmm. and, uh, and a bunch of ama- uh, incredible actors, and... Be, uh, Acker and Blacker, the writing team of Acker and Blacker. Mm-hmm. The improbably named Ben Acker and Ben Blacker. <laughs> yeah, they both named Ben and their names rhyme. Mm-hmm. They, uh, <laughs> they, uh, Ben Acker was telling me last night a Frank Nelson story 
that many years ago, which he said Sergio Aragones had told. So it gets Frank, weird. I'm trying to remember who Frank Nelson is. He was like, yes. yeah, that guy. Oh, okay, yes. <laughs> yes. He, he hated, uh, hated Mr. Flintstone. Uh. Ooh, Mr. Flintstone. Right. Ooh, Mrs. Ricardo. <laughs> there was some show years ago, like decades ago, and they wanted to, uh, they put out a casting thing for a Frank Nelson sound-alike. And, and I think Sergio Aragones was like, well, why don't you just get Frank Nelson? And so they made Frank Nelson audition. Wow. So Frank Nelson goes into a room and he's with all these Frank Nelson sound-alikes. And at the last minute they changed direction. So they had to come out and say, uh, Mr. Nelson. And he did the, yes! <laughs> and, then when, when, and the entire room full of impersonators just stood up and applauded. <laughs> and then when they were leaving, they were like, after you! No, after you! Okay. <laughs> so that was the that was a wonderful entertainment business story wow. that I heard last night. That I I auditioned for a commercial recently, and I I had sworn after the last commercial audition I had, I said I'm never doing this again They're because the worst. commercial auditions, if people don't know. Uh, because it's because it's advertising. There's no pretense that there's any art to oh, acting no. whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. no, you, that is yeah. completely dropped. And the way you're treated is like, uh, everybody who's going to be the guy behind the counter, go stand over there. <laughs> Excuse the me, people, can I? No, no questions. No, no. Be quiet. Hold on a second. I'm giving orders here. You're trash. The people that walk up to the counter, you stand over there. So it, you really are treated like garbage. And yeah. you're in this like holding pen. Yes. And, the and worst seats ever. Well, like, the worst. Like, oh, they're the like benches. Yeah. And then, it's like Ellis Island. <laughs> it's terrible. It's like an Ellis Island for yeah. sadness. They and, throw and, lie and on you. Yes, they give you a lie bath. Oh, so Ellis Island. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, well, you're not going to start a new life after after commercial Ellis no. Island. You're going to you're possibly end your life. After yeah, commercial yeah, yeah. Right, right with a less ethnic last name. That's right. <laughs> right, at the feet, right at the feet of Lady Unliberty. There's like a whole. There's one section of kids are auditioning yeah. for some, so fucking yeah. kids are running around everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are reading their sides yeah. out loud. There's like five guys in lab coats because yeah. they're bringing their own lab coats <laughs> to the doctor audition. Here was the. I never knew if I should dress. Am I always a cowboy? Should I put a hat on? And then like you I hate that moment. You mustn't. Yeah. The last it feels bad. The last commercial audition I ever had was, um, and then I stopped going on them. But I went into the room, and they always they, a lot of time they'll give you crazy direction that you can't possibly implement. Yeah. Uh, so they'll go. Uh, this this was this is what the guy said. All right, so you're sitting in your room, you're hanging out, you got a poster of a superhero on the wall. Then he comes out of the poster and then just walks across the room, and then you just react to that, just fucking go. Like I would shit the yeah. stomach lining out of my body yeah. because that could not happen. Yeah. You would, you would start, like, tears of fright would stream down your face. And after What is happening to the world? Yeah, I know. <laughs> what, dude, that can happen? That's a thing now? Yeah, but all they yeah. really want in the end is just uh, you going, oh. That's all yeah, they're going to exactly. use, the guy that does Gogurt! Yeah. Or whatever it was. So, uh, what, so what happened? Oh, I, I did it, and then I, I, I wanted to shower afterwards. And I, and, <laughs> and, but I'm sure there was some eager, young, you know, uh, new Hollywood uh, transplant who was yeah. just all eager to no it's all about auditioning man and uh, being my super personality you out there. You gotta, every, everyone's gotta see you. Do, you, st- do you so you don't see commercial audition anymore no I, I did one recently because uh, the, 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 the the casting director had asked for me mm-hmm. and uh, the one commercial I ever did it was the same casting agency and the commercial never aired so I was like this guy's nice enough and he's a uh, he's a friend of a director friend of mine uh, whom I worked with so I said okay I'll, I'll go in and uh, it was 
it's like one of those things where they're giving me so much direction. I've never been given this much direction for anything that I actually had the job for, you know. And it, it was like all these different ways. And then I realized, oh, they don't know what they want. And so they're using me to try out a bunch of different stuff mm -hmm. before they give somebody else the job. But <laughs> right. I am helping them figure out the direction of the character. And guess what? You don't get paid for that. No. That's work. Like, I'm working now for these people. And also helping free. them, almost kind of helping them to write their thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they might take things from yeah. me. You, yeah, if you, if you improvise else. in auditions, a lot of times oh, yeah. they'll just fucking take it. Yeah, but yeah, that yeah. Doesn't, that's not just like commercial auditions. That's like, that's like other, I've, see, I've seen that happen where it's like, hey, we're doing this kind of improv uh, show idea mm -hmm. come in with character ideas and yeah. situations. Wait, so yeah. by improv show you mean you haven't written it yet and you're just going to take all the improv improvised scenes from actors who come in? Is that exactly. what you mean? Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. So I always kind of opt out of those because it's like it feels weird. Like yeah. you're going to do this work, you're going to write some uh, material and then you're going to just give it to them yeah. for no no reason at all. Yeah, yeah. And no no appreciation. No appreciation. <laughs> they don't care. Funny, thanks. All right, <laughs> get out. Did you write that down? Did you write that down? <laughs> um, Paul Tompkins, uh, you know, I, I, I really... Boy, I wish we had like three hours to talk because there's so much that I want There's so much I want to talk to you about. We do. It. No, well, we don't. I'm not, I mean, we can't. I can't be the first three-parter. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be in a row. You can parse them out over the course of the rest of the year. September is Paul F. Tom Tenber. So it's just like every week is a different chapter four. Early life. <laughs> so uh, you are you are from Philadelphia, I indeed. Do you, I'm going. To, I'm performing at Helium in a couple of weeks. There. It's a great club. That's what I hear. Everybody's really nice. I saw you there once. You got me and uh, my girlfriend really? and her family there and at Helium in Philadelphia. Yeah, it was like I uh, kind of remember that. What were you doing there? I was like I was uh, I was I was visiting my girlfriend's family and like uh, and then like you got us all in. I was just like randomly looking through the paper and saw your performance. <laughs> And like I texted you, I, I we barely knew each other. But I was like, "Hey, I'm with my girlfriend and her four uh, family members. Do you think we could get into your show?" Goes, yeah, come on down. Yeah, I mean, it's well. Thank you very yes. much. Um, it, it it's one of those things where you know I have I still have a lot of family and friends in Philadelphia, but it was I think I was doing like f four nights or something like that. Yeah. So it was. Uh, yeah, you know, there's a lot of people to get in there, so bet, yeah. it was not exactly like ah, oh, all my comps are spoken for. It's like no, there's plenty. I, I still need, <laughs> I still need people to come see the show. Now, see, yeah. for you to say a comedy club is good, it must be an actual good comedy club. No, it was that that it's a relatively new club. You know, when I, when I played it, I think it had only been open a year or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really nicely set up. The staff is great. It's in a nice part of town. Um, and where they put you up is close to a lot of things. So the Rocky Statue? It's really nice. It's not close to the Rocky Statue. I'm sorry. God damn it. That is your number one Philadelphia What is the point? What's cool about... Small enough town. You can get there in, in a few minutes. What was cool about seeing you there, though, was because like, I had seen you so much at the M Bar and more of the alternative rooms in L.A. Yeah. Had to see you like do a long set in a like. Oh, that's club. true. Yeah. And, yeah, like, yeah. It was, like, there was really no difference. And, yeah. Like, yeah. You just kind of did... That is the disadvantage yeah. to... to one, of the, one of the many disadvantages to just doing comedy in L.A. is that you never get to see your friends or people that you like do Long sets. You only That's see true. you only see ten or twelve minute sets. Yeah. That is true. And like getting to see Bamford at the Improv that night do like forty five minutes. Like, mm -hmm. oh, it's yeah. so wonderful to actually get a sense of what her long form. Yeah, set it's is. like yeah. It's, you just get a better sense of who they are and like their comedy. Just it fits better in longer form. You yeah. Know? It's like, unless it's a guy just doing like quick jokes, jokey jokes. It's like you know, like you need a longer set for most comics out here. So yeah. The, yeah, the better ones. How, but, I don't. I don't know how the two line joke comics survive in an hour long set. I mean, I know they do. I just don't like that 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 I because I can't write those kinds of jokes so no, I don't, no I don't really I. I don't really understand that's so much stuff that you have to write yeah, yeah. fill up 
fill up 60 minutes to write of one-liners. That's a lot of material. And yeah. they're all like hit or miss. You know, like I feel like <laughs> yeah. you, you yeah, they're yeah. Hit, like a two-line joke is hit or miss. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah. So for the, the all the ones that you have to write to put together an hour, <laughs> there's probably eight times more well, that for, you've yeah. written. The type of people that do one-liners, though, it's like they usually have the personality type where even if it doesn't hit, they still have that kind of cocky, like it doesn't matter because there's another one on the way. Kind I of. guess it, it's easier if uh, you realize you'll never throw any material out. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I don't care. I didn't yeah. get a laugh. It stays in. Yeah. I need to fill time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's a bad joke. You're going to get rid of it? No, I'm just going to put it between two good jokes. Yeah, I'll bury it <laughs> in the middle. You're yeah, going to do any crowd work? Heavens no. Heavens <laughs> no. Show no. my personality? No. No, no, no. It's basically two or three hundred jokes per minute. <laughs> two or my friend, my friend said like a like like late nineties. He opened up for uh, Emo Phillips in Texas, and he said uh, Emo had like a huge water jug with his like set. Like he needed a big thing to put his set list on. The <laughs> and so like to like the audience, it was funny that he had this really big thing of water to drink from. But like as he was doing it, he would like check out his set. And like, but like, he needed something that big because he like didn't want to like. Have would he would he take a sip from this gigantic jug after every joke? <laughs> no, I think I think it was just more of like a, just to check in and see where he's at in the set. But surely, surely, <laughs> there was some other way of pla- <laughs> placing a set. Like nope, that. just a jug, yeah. just a jug. I've really look, you guys. I've crunched the numbers. The only way I can get through this, I have to tape a piece of paper to, code, to a water jug. Yeah. So you're, you can't bring that through security to get on the plane. <laughs> no, no, no. You don't understand. This contains my set list. Yeah. <laughs> That's why Emo has that one really muscular arm. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, like the character from Lady in the Water. Oh, God. Why would I reference that movie? I don't know. <laughs> I, oh, I take it back. I take it back. I regret it. I regret it. Wait, a character in that movie has one big arm? Yeah, Freddy. Um, he's the guy from six. He's one of the guys from Six Feet Under. And, oh, yeah. Freddy's the big arm man. <laughs> and, 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 and then... Uh, and in Lady in the Water, he's just worked out one arm, and so he just has this massive arm. Does that come in handy at some point? Uh, not really. Does the scrawny arm come in handy at some point? <laughs> no, much like many what of the twist? plot points don't come in handy <laughs> at all. Shyamalan twist. It was the skinny arm. That all of our arms are too big to fit through that opening. Here's how. Here's, here's, here's what a bummer that movie was. All the exposition. The only way that they could get it across was an old Asian lady who was just remembering parts of the fable, and she would forget and then remember. Oh. And that's how it would drive the story. So, like, some stuff would happen, and then this girl would come out and go. My grandmother just remember another part of the story. Oh, wow. So it turns out, and then like two page monologue of exposition. Wow. wow. Yeah. That makes me want to see this movie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which I have avoided. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you've made the right choice up to now. Uh, I. You know, we were talking about sponsorships earlier on, Paul. Yes. And, and I would like to now demonstrate. That was not fair. They didn't know that we talked about sponsorships. Now they if I'm do. not going to keep that All in. Right, I might keep saying, that in. I'm just. This podcast, no, that was before we started recording. This podcast is raw, man. Nice. You think because you got eye surgery, you can just uh, be all cool or whatever? I didn't. I just left them in the car. What? So I'm just like... We were steps away from the car. I just like, I forgot my glasses in the car. I was like, you can just... Lazy I'm not going back. Over. I'm not going back there. Yeah. Nah. Like there? Where you can see? Let's see. Walk or see? <laughs> um, so uh, this is uh, this is a new sponsor on the podcast. Uh, is this the Park first time? This is the first time this they're going to be on here. History. I, I I should put in some music. No, no, something a little more upbeat. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
Jonah, did you know that? See, I can't even do it that way. I can't even do it that way. This is just like the old radio show days, yeah, yeah. where you but you would you would literally only have forty seconds, so you couldn't justify it too much. I'm sorry, you were talking. You're saying something. Right? Yeah, I was saying that Squarespace.com is the fast and easy way to create and manage a high quality website or blog. What's that website name again? Squarespace.com. 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 <laughs> Uh, no, actually, Squarespace is really cool. I, I know that Kevin Pereira uh, had originally turned me on to Squarespace. Um, and what's cool about it is that you don't have to really know how to program a blog, or you can be a beginner, or you, it's a very simple platform. I don't think you really need to know any HTML. Also, if you have an Hypertext markup language. If you have an existing blog, you can put all of it into there, and it will form You could. You could. You get a, a photo, photo gallery. You get form builders. You get Google Maps. Permission access. Handling. There are hundreds of design templates to choose from. God damn it! Is there a weather widget? <laughs> also, what is that? What In I case you don't have a window, I need a weather widget. I need a. Do you want to look outside? No. Your glasses are in the car. I don't care. <laughs> Anyway, you can use Squarespace for all of your website needs. You can build it, host it, and manage it. For a free trial, you can go to squarespace.com. There is no credit card needed, and you just have to try it out to build your website. And then if you decide to purchase it, you get 10% off if you enter the coupon code NERDIST. 10% is just 90% away from 100. (laughs) That's right. You know percentages. So it's practically 100% off. It's almost 100% off. Yeah. I mean, if you want to, if from a, from if you approach it from that angle, yeah, it is almost. I a, do, <laughs> and I have. <laughs> I think that was a pretty uh, average uh, take on that, Smooth and I'm sure that silk. will not uh, they will not be returning as a sponsor. It's fine, <laughs> uh, Paul. Uh, forget about them because you are the main focus of this podcast, and I, I want to okay. talk about you've been you're an innovator in the in the field of. Breaking free from comedy clubs and performing in independent venues on your own. And uh, I would love for you to describe what happened when you came up with the Facebook 300. Uh, sure. It was uh, completely an accident. Um, and it was born out of, uh, out of sarcasm, actually. <laughs> um, I was in Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia. And I was, uh, I was recording uh, a, a, an hour-long special for Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was going to do it at this little place called the Laughing Skull Lounge. Great is, club. I'll be yeah, there in a couple of like, months. I think it's these 80 people. Yep. Um, and you do two shows a night, and then fill, yeah, it's like nights. about the size of yeah. a regular club. Yeah, and because the material I was doing was much more uh, personal and intimate, I thought, okay, I, this would be a great thing to do. And and also because you know most of the the comedy specials you see, uh, somebody does the, an hour long special, it's in like a great big theater, you mm-hmm. know, where there's a lot of applause breaks and whooping and stuff like that and I thought I, I can't this stuff is too like I talk about my mom dying you know what I mean so right. I, don't, I don't I don't necessarily it's not want maybe whoop worthy yes exactly it shouldn't be anyway no, no. I, I think it would have hurt my feelings that people would <laughs> whoop whoop so, I, uh, I identify with that yeah, premise my mom died too woo. Oh. so um, so I, I went to this place and, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was a big thing to work out logistically how it was going to work. And so finally that, we, we figured it all out. I'm like, okay, so then I get to Atlanta, going to start doing shows, and I find out that the shows are not sold out yet. 
And I started to panic. You know, I, I need to have an audience for this show. <laughs> I, I kind of do. So I don't understand. So you're saying if you're going to shoot an hour-long comedy special, you want people in the room to my react? Per- my personal preference yeah. is to have an audience. There. Okay. I know right. people to, to each his own. It's a good way I'm to not, go. I'm not trying to tell people how to do comedy. No, 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 no. No. Um, so I, I took to the internet and... Uh, uh, on Twitter, I was telling people, look, I need, I need Atlanta to come out to these shows, please. Um, I, I need pretty much 300 people over the course of four nights mm-hmm. to come see me do stand-up at this place. And so uh, I was tweeting that and tweeting that, and people were retweeting it for me, and it was uh, this big flurry of uh, activity uh, on Twitter. And then in the midst of all that, this guy that I'd never met before, Bob Kerr, comedian from Toronto, Canada, uh, said, hey, why don't you come to Toronto? And when you are trying to get people to go to one place, there's <laughs> nothing more frustrating than somebody, like, because how it comes across is, eh, forget that place. Just come where I am. Pick, pack your bags, get your cameras, yeah. get on a plane, yeah, yeah, yeah. get your passport. So I wrote to him and said, I don't think I even knew that he was a comedian at that point. It was just this guy telling me, why don't you come to Toronto? In a not funny way. In a not funny way. Okay. And so I wrote back to him uh, through, uh, through gritted typing fingers. <laughs> <laughs> so you, I tell you what, you get 300 people to say they will see me in Toronto and then I'll go book a show in Toronto. <laughs> so Send. He, I sent it, and then he wrote back to me, I, I, I want to say within a matter of hours, uh, uh, with a link. And uh, it took me to this Facebook group that said, I want to see Paul F. Tompkins in Toronto. And he, he laid it out, and he said, comedian Paul F. Tompkins has pledged that if, if uh, we get 300 people to say they are committed to seeing him do a show here, he will book a show here. And don't join this group. If you just want to join a group, don't join because you think you're helping me out. It's like you have to be... Serious that if if at all possible, you will see a show if he puts on a show here. And so within a few weeks, he got to 300 people. And I said, all right. Better book a show. Absolutely. Let's see what happens. So I booked a show at the, uh, at the Rivoli Theater uh, in Toronto, famous uh, in, in the world of comedy for where the kids in the hall got their start. Mm-hmm. And they, they, have an on, they have like a great comedy scene in Toronto. Um, and uh, they do shows, uh, comedy shows at the Rivoli all the time. And so I went up there on a Sunday. I did, uh, it's, a, it's a, a smaller place. Uh, I did two shows in one night and it was fantastic. They were uh, like two of the best shows I'd ever done. And I began to think, okay, well, maybe this is a workable thing. Maybe this is the way to do it. If I can get the audience in place first and then do the show, maybe that's the way I can book things from now on. And so um, after that, I can't remember if I, if I blogged about that and said, look, I would love to try this, you know, or I think it was, it was after the Toronto one, there, there was a little, little write-up in the, in the Toronto paper, and, and Bob tweeted about it, and I retweeted about it, and then other groups started to spring up. And so I wrote on my website, hey, I think there might be something to this, mm-hmm. and uh, here's, here's how it works. Um, uh, if you want to start a group, let me know. I will spread the word as much as I can, and, and when you get to 300, I will book a show. And since then, I've done... Just about a dozen of these, I think, and uh, 99% of them have been absolutely fantastic. There have been a couple under-attended shows. That's 1% away from 100%. Exactly, Jonah. Exactly. (laughs) That's how his brain works. You're talking his language. Yes. 
So it's been it's been great, and now I'm coming up on the uh, in October. It'll be the 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 one year anniversary of this thing starting, mm-hmm. and I'm going back to the Rivoli and doing a show, and uh, I'm really excited about that. And I feel like that will be that'll be the real test uh, uh, of how this can work. If I have Establish these these groups, which which fans start. So mm-hmm. it's always if people want to see me, you know, rather than me hoping to round people up. It's like, no, definitely this is a place we would like you to come. There's mm-hmm. enough people here who want to see what you what you do. Um, perform there once, the group stays, and then it becomes a means of communication, like a mini fan club, mm-hmm. a localized thing of, you know, you're on Facebook already. You know, you're on Twitter already, so I can reach you through that, you mm-hmm. know, and say, I'm coming back to that place that I played last time you saw me. Uh, so we'll see. So the Rivoli will be the the, the first test of that. Um, and then to go back to uh, a lot of these venues, for the most part, I think it's all, I would go, I would happily go back to all the same venues that I've already played. Um and, uh, and keep refining this process, but so far so good. It's such a logical, you know, when I saw that you were first doing that, I was like, God damn it, that makes so much sense. Because, you know, you, it's rare that... I, I don't usually think of comedy in the simplest terms of, well, if people come see you, then you can do a show. You yeah. just you just kind of book shows and you show up and you hope that the club got the word out. And, yeah. you know, I, and I've started experimenting with kind of with like street team, promotional mm-hmm. street teams because there's just never really enough advertising budget. Yeah. And... Um, you know, it's 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 also and really the advertising the club does might have nothing to do with you or your sensibility. Well, that's that's you that's know? very true because you know you don't what, what most non comics don't understand is that you know you can go to these clubs and they paper the room with like free ticket night. So yeah. like you know like like a redneck could show up and be like, hey, this isn't fucking funny. Yeah, you know, and they want to see you know Jeff Dunham. Yeah, you're not Jeff Dunham. And then so. there's that because there's that weird. Uh, uh, anger that people get for some reason if they don't find something funny and i think it's that i was just talking to somebody about this the other day i think it's that there is a there's a certain amount of confidence that you have to have to get you on stage to say i believe that what i am saying is funny to a large group of strangers right right so that's a certain amount of balls that you have to have to go up there (laughs) and and put that to the test you know just to do that it's not like you're swaggering on stage like i've already got you people in the palm of my hand it's like (laughs) it's it's the confidence to to take that gamble you know an educated uh gamble like i'm i'm pretty sure this is going to go well (laughs) you know that's what you're doing and so everybody thinks they're funny so if they see a guy on stage that has the gall to get up there, <laughs> the courage and the confidence to get up there, just to get up there in front of a room full of people, um, and they don't find it funny, I think that the psychology of it is, like, I'm funnier than that guy, but I'm scared to do what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. and I also, so I'm going to yell from the darkness I also think the other, the other part, oh, and then when you, a lot of times when you, when you try to engage them, they shut down and they don't want to talk. Yes, because they're cowards. But I think, well, I think the other part of it is... They are in their minds. I think they are renting you, yes, as you know, like the same way that you would hire a real estate agent yeah, or yeah. Uh, or you know or any or anyone. Yeah. You work for me. You're right? the expert, and you work for me now. Yeah, and you're not giving me what, as a consumer, I feel I should be getting. So fuck you. You're, you're not doing what I consider comedy. Right, right, and right. I want to hear only what I consider comedy, and th- so that's what you're dealing with in in comedy clubs. A lot of times is. Uh, a bunch of people that 
that have paid no money to get in. They don't value the experience. Mm -hmm. And so they have no reason to invest themselves. Right. You know, if somebody pays... And comedy clubs are expensive. You know? Incredibly it's, expensive. It's I don't know how investment. anyone affords it yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. So if you go... If you've paid all that money and then you pay for the ticket and then you have to buy the minimum and stuff like that, uh, drinks, food, whatever, you, I, I think you're, you're more likely to say, all right, let's... let's Let's hear this guy out. Right. It might yeah. not be what I consider comedy off the bat, but I'm going to give this guy a chance and hear what he has to say because I came here to have a good time. Right. Know? But somebody that just came there to get drunk because it was a free ticket, it's like, well, it's just another venue to drink, really. <laughs> we, might, we might as well do, that, do it there than someplace yeah. else. Fuck you. I don't have to shut up. I, yeah. I didn't pay anything for this. <laughs> so now the marketing that comedy clubs do, the, the, uh, the advertising is uh, not individualized. It is just... Uh, it's comedy clubs. So uh, just go on the radio. It's the top-rated radio station. So uh, regardless of what they do... You just go there and uh, you do comedy and then people come to the comedy club. Right. And it's like, well, there's different types of comedians, though. I'm not, not sure my demographic is urban youths, 15 <laughs> to 24. I'm not 100% sure that they're going to get me. Come see Earthquake this weekend. Next weekend, Paul F. Tompkins. <laughs> but it's more like, you know, the, the, the thing I've come into, that I, the thing that I've run into is, is just the, uh, the sort of morning zoo model where it's like really crass stuff. And it's like, I... I I try never to sound judgmental or snobby about this stuff, but that's just not who I am at all. Right. You know, like the stuff that those guys are laughing about is not the stuff that I laugh about, and it's not part of my comedic vocabulary. So I can't just join in, you know? So then I end up coming off just not that funny on the radio because these guys have gone down a, a, uh, a, a direction. Uh, they've gone down a comedic road that uh, is unfamiliar terrain for me. And I can't just all of a sudden, I don't have a whole other persona that I can pull out from Well, it also radio. misrepresents what you're going to do at your show, too. Exactly. So you don't, you don't want people exactly. to be like, hold on a second, this guy. <laughs> he did like 10 ovary jokes on the radio, and I didn't hear the word ovary once yeah. when I went to see him. This is fucking ridiculous. I think, yeah. I think what like the Morning Zoo guys, though, like it's like these guys hang out with each other every weekday yeah. for years. And yeah, yeah. it's like just kind of jumping into a close-knit group of friends, mm -hmm. and they have all these inside jokes or sound effects, as mm -hmm. they probably would be. And then like it's hard to like kind of jump in and be, hey, me too, guys. Uh, turn, play that fart duck noise again, you know? Yeah, but yeah. having done a morning radio show for a while in L.A., <laughs> I can tell you that what happens is you're so exhausted most of the time that you're... I don't want to say dead inside, but you just go into, like, shortcut mode. And yeah. so all of your shortcuts are just... Bleh, like, like kind of like, like, like what you said. So... Part of it is they're probably not even listening to what you're saying. No, you're and killing so, time. Yeah. You're killing time. You're killing time and for ads. Yes, and the, 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 the relationship of the comedy club to the radio station is a flawed relationship. It's, it's, it's imbalanced because the, the, radio, the, the comedy club is saying, well, we get free advertising on this radio station. We send the comedians there, and then the, the radio station mentions our comedy club a bunch of times. And in return... The radio station gets to fill time, which mm -hmm. is their prime directive. It's like, look, we have to be here for three hours. <laughs> no choice. We have to keep talking for three hours, right? So we need people to help us fill three hours of time. So the thing is, the radio station definitely gets what it needs. Mm -hmm. They have filled their time, right? <laughs> the comedy club, maybe people care enough to go to see right. the comedy club. Maybe they don't, though. So it's not the greatest form of free advertising, you know? There, there's no guarantee that that's going to be effective. Right. And, and I would go out 
when I was doing comedy clubs, I like to sometimes go out and do a poll of the audience and ask them how many people are here tonight because they heard me on the radio. And nobody ever, <laughs> not a single person in a single city, was there ever a response that, and nobody, nobody ever came out because they saw, they heard me on the radio. Really? Not a single person. So have you stopped doing the radio then? Yes. <laughs> that's, that's, another, that's another part of this, of the way the, of booking these shows is that I don't, all the promotion is built in. It's, it's, it's built into the momentum of the group. And it's, it's, I keep reminding people, I interact with the group online. It's really, it takes no time at all. And mm -hmm. it's kind of fun, you know, to, to, to get people excited about these shows. And it's, it's kind of a neat thing. So it, everybody it, wins except morning radio. Yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah. They're still killing time. They're fine. Yeah. Don't worry about morning they're, radio. They're slowly, not worried about you. I feel like they're killing time in a retirement home like they're just ever ever closing edge they're just edging toward death you know like like when the, when those first cars start rolling out early next year that have like uh pandora and uh, you know like yeah. it's it's gonna be a bummer it's gonna be a real bummer for radio um but uh sounds like flailing when you tune in in the morning just a little, kind of like that. hey guys we're still here we're still here right you guys is anybody out there uh, who else is fat we can make fun of like, i feel like they're in a studio just trying to see like if like in a post-apocalyptic world if anyone is still out there exactly. we have an encampment yeah please yeah, yeah. bring supplies it's gonna be like the the, the recorded the recorded message in 28 days later exactly <laughs> but uh i think you know you you know i will i will i will say and i will go on record as saying this paul but, oh. I think um, I think you are definitely one of the best comedians working today, without a doubt. Well, thank you very much. Um, and and I think any 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 good comedian that you would respect that you would ask would would say the same thing. Oh, I, thank I, you. I, I interviewed. Uh, well, like I, I just I had Bill Maher on the podcast, and we were talking about when you were on Real Time, and he was like, "Did I, he remember who I was?" He loves you. <laughs> he did. Not only did he remember, he was like, "I love Paula Tompkins." Oh, you that's know? very and sweet. We just we just decided that you know that we just wanted to make it more about other stuff that was going on in the show, mm -hmm. and it was wasn't anything against you about not being on the show anymore. He thought you were great, and he he loved Except you. Except I was not on the show anymore. Except you were not on the show that's anymore. That's difficult to argue yeah, that point. Part of that decision was let's not have Paul on the show anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was let's have more of this other stuff. And not let's not have Paul specifically. Right. You just said those words again. Let's not have Paul. It's just they had puppets, and they were like, "How do let's... we achieve this more of the other stuff?" But I think, but I think, um, <laughs> but I don't think it was. I don't think it was anything personal along, along no, those no, lines. Because no. everyone, like anyone you ask, they love they love Paul F. Tompkins, and you were the first comic to ever tell me. Oh, you don't because there was this sort of I always call it like pre-Vatican II comedy, which mm -hmm. is the idea of. You gotta go into any room, and you gotta make those people laugh yeah. right. at any cost. Right. You work for them, you know. <laughs> and you were the first person to say to me, "You you don't need to perform for any audience. You should find people that want to be there, perform for your crowd. And if you're not having fun performing, don't perform for the people you're not that, having." That's fun the thing. With. It's like you know, when it comes to music, they're not telling people in bands to say, "It's like you gotta play music that everybody will like." It's like you yeah. play the music that you are good at playing, yeah, that when, you like playing. When musicians go out on tour, they play to their fans. Yes, that's how they make money. Exactly. There, there is a period though. Any kind of artist that you are, any kind of performing artist that you are. You have to do bad gigs in order to get good at what you do, mm -hmm. and that toughens you up. But the problem is, like a, a lot of our colleagues um, believe that you always have to do the clubs. You always have to do that. It keeps you honest and stuff like that. And I feel like I've been doing this for over twenty years. If I don't, if I can't keep myself honest, if I can't, if I can't tell the difference between when I'm just kind of coasting with people who are in the know 
and when I am uh, really working uh, as hard as I can to the best of my ability, then that, that going to that club is not going to help me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, there, there's there's a time of paying dues where absolutely you got to take your lumps because that's how you get good. You develop a thick skin. You you work harder and harder. But at a certain point, I, I want to get new fans. But I feel like the way I'm going to get new fans is, is not necessarily going into hostile environments <laughs> and trying to win people over with what I do, like getting one person at a time. But Like I, the Islamabad I, improv? You're yeah, not gonna, you're yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 I've heard it's got actually, I've Islam- heard it's got some good stuff. I've heard, I've heard good points about the Islamabad improv. That they do the check drop at the end of the show rather than in the middle of the show. But, um, uh, I feel like I would rather do shows for people that know who I am who might bring somebody right. and say, this guy's really funny. Well, I think that there's, you no, know? there's no question that's going to happen. That I'm getting the same amount of new fans that I would had I gone into the shitty club. Right. You know, probably I'm willing to take that gamble. You're probably getting more because these people are friends with people who probably have a like sense of humor. Yeah. And yeah. they're going to come in, oh, this Paul yeah. You start getting, really I, think, I think, I think what will happen is these groups will start becoming friends and then like when you do the Paul of Tompkins 300, everyone will show up dressed as Spartans. I would love for that to happen. <laughs> if anyone listening out there get 299 of your friends to dress up as Spartans and go I would love some combo of like uh, Spartans and uh, like a, a nice coat and tie <laughs> like, <laughs> so cocktail Spartans yeah cocktail Spartans where are you cocktail Spartans what's the dress it's cocktail Spartans okay so a tie and then that battle uh, yeah. Uh, skirt yeah <laughs> battle skirt exactly and the helmet but cuffs yeah on, and then sure yeah like an extra on True Blood. <laughs> and also with, with, you know, with things like podcasts and social networking, like there's, there's ways to, to reach new people, you know, like the follow Friday on Twitter, I think has probably gained me more fans than, you know, any, any amount of time that I've done yeah. in a comedy club where, you know why? Cause people tell me, cause people <laughs> say, Hey, I didn't know who you were. Uh, before this, friends, friends, uh, friends of mine recommended you to me on Twitter, and then I've checked out your stuff since then, and I'm, I'm a new fan of yours. Like it's like they're saying it, you know, like just <laughs> that plainly, and it's great. Do you ever feel the pressure of? Because sometimes I feel like, fuck, I didn't go to school to learn marketing, and and now and now you know here I am, you know, like television shows that you work on, you know, like uh, uh, live shows that you do anything, you it all it, like the onus falls on you, like mm-hmm. you ultimately have to get the word out there is yeah. that is that irritating to you in any way or do you feel like ah thank god we have the ability to do that i, I think like anything that that you 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 feel that you have to do that is a part of the 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 job part of your your dream job mm-hmm. um uh, sometimes you don't feel like it um but I, I it's so easy to put it in perspective and say uh here's what i don't feel like doing is uh <laughs> Putting a blurb on my website about uh, a date that's coming up. Right. <laughs> like typing. Right. It's, it's, t- it's 30 seconds of typing is what I don't feel the like The clerical doing. work. Or making, yeah, the clerical work. Making a joke on Twitter because it's like it can't all be just, hey, come see me at this place. I also have to 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 give people some fun stuff too, you know, so that, so that, uh, the, so that the, you know, it's like if you start following somebody that's all about just business, mm-hmm. that's a drag and it's not fun. You yeah. know, and, and you stop paying attention to that person, and you get rid of them. And admittedly, you know? I'm a, unfortunately, I feel like I fall into that trap sometimes because I get so caught up in like, 
I've got this blog and this this node social network and then shows. But you also, but you also, uh, you know, there, it's funny how there's different types of Twitterers, and it becomes like. Um, uh, people fall into different categories, and it's very easy to see. So you you do the promotion, but you also link to interesting things. And there's a lot of people that I follow that do that too. That they don't really, they don't maybe make jokes per se, or they, they don't uh, they don't editorialize or anything. Mm-hmm. But they will say, "Hey, check out this story, or check out this weird video, or something like that." And that to me is just as valid. I still follow those people, and I still uh, I don't always click on the links that they right. that they put up, but. Uh, I, I trust them enough that I most of the time I do, you know, yeah. to see what this interesting story is. There's a, there's a guy that calls himself Pour Me Coffee, you know, and like really keeps his identity uh, secret. And he, and he, by and large, he talks about political stuff. Um, but he, he's got a he's got a, a posturous uh, blog and uh, he talks about uh, a lot of fun stuff, too. Um, always really brief to the point. A lot of links. Uh, really funny. A really funny guy um, that is just this kind of uh, uh, self-employed uh, pundit, you know. Yeah. Um, but absolutely worth following. And there are so I, I, I think Twitter has been amazing for so many people who like people like Kelly Oxford or Alison Agosti or like people who. You wouldn't ha- you wouldn't have known before because mm-hmm. they're not their faces aren't necessarily on television, but yet they're getting their comedy out there yeah. uh, in, in the world, and it actually it seems it seems to me like it's working. Like as a social yeah. networking tool, it's actually it's actually yeah. working. It couldn't be simpler, you know. And I think that's what people respond to is, is is that it's it's very easy to use. It's very easy. It's very easy both to to uh, to participate in and just to observe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very very simple. Um, and yet, still, people get mad if you live tweet a, tw- a Twilight Zone marathon. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, they still that, get angry. No, they have. They have. Oh, those people have long since unfollowed me. Oh yeah. But um, yeah, I, I every New Year's Eve because my wife and I don't do anything for New Year's Eve. We just sit at home. She's asleep by ten, and so I will stay up and watch the Twilight Zone marathon. I've done this like a couple years running. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, but see, that's the thing is like, it, and then when people get mad, it makes me laugh so hard that they're getting so angry because it, it's people that are. They are drunk and they're just coming home from a party or a bar. And so they see in their Twitter feed, it's like all me talking about these Twilight. You know what, like though? Like a 60 year old But you have to understand, nerds are all about rules and, and I know. structure. Yeah. And, I know. And it's very OCD. And oh, so yeah. If, yeah, you, yeah. if you violate that system even an inch, it's just like, oh, what are you? And like but the these world don't crumbles. Even, these don't even seem like nerds to me. They seem like dumb club people. You know what I mean? That have been out like getting hammered and I, being I gross. I love it because I like to get. Guess what episode Paul's watching? Yeah, <laughs> you know <laughs> the Talking Tina episode. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I always thought I always thought I had an old bit about this, but I never do it in clubs because m- most people don't know what I'm talking about. But I always I had this old bit about how I thought um, Twilight Zone should be called Nice Try Asshole because that's that's always it's always someone trying to do a thing. Like, but in the end, Nice Try Asshole. Yeah. You know the. Uh, you also had a joke about uh, the Twilight Zone ride. At uh, California Adventure, I did. <laughs> you don't remember that? No. Oh man, that was like back in the M-Bar days. I remember. Holy shit! Yeah. I don't know what. If, well, how did it go, Joe? Yeah, seriously. Well, I really didn't do it. Just it's something about the. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it went a little something like this. It's you, man. Why are you dancing, Jonah? There's no reason to be dancing. It was a long time ago, so I'm gonna have to have a few drinks before I get into it. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to have a few just to remember it. Um. But uh, yeah, they get really they get really upset if you violate uh, uh, Twitter laws. 
I had on uh, on my um, uh, an iTunes review another thing that cracks me because <laughs> oh, I, I started this. I started a podcast recently and uh, that I definitely I, want to talk about. Uh, sure, the and, Pod F Tomcast. Yes, and and uh, I I went to the the iTunes reviews and I never read reviews because it, it hurts my feelings. Right. You know, but then I realized <laughs> is that because you're a human being? Yeah. 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 So you're not made yeah. of some kind and of it, inorganic material. Yeah. Put yourself out there. For so some it. reason, when people are trying to be as mean as possible, they really succeed. <laughs> so, um, but then I realized, wait a minute. This thing is for free. Yeah. So I don't have to. Like, I, don't, I don't take anything to heart at all. It's like it's just that simple. Like if I put a CD out and people say, "Oh, wasn't that funny?" or this or that, or like, "I like the other one better." It's like, "Oh, that sucks," because I'm 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 wanting people to buy this. But when I put the podcast out and, was, and I realized this is for free, I'm doing this. I can, it could be whatever I want. The reviews, the negative reviews became so funny to me. Yeah. And the people looked so stupid. Right. It was hilarious. Like. There was one, but there was one where it was a rules thing because the the conceit, the the very light conceit of my podcast is it's nighttime on the internet. <laughs> now, I know, I know that people can listen to this any time of day. I know most people are going to be listening to it during the daytime, probably working out or doing household chores or whatever. Paul, That's can when I, you can I take a guess at what some of the people might be. <laughs> Uh, it's not. It's not nighttime. Yeah. We're listening to this. It was one person who gave me, I think, two stars, <laughs> and the whole review was um, major podcast rule violation. <laughs> like they actually said. Let me see. Let me see if I can. Find <laughs> you didn't. Uh, wait. So you didn't look at your podcast statutes? Is that, is, yeah. is, was that well, the they should publish the rules somewhere. <laughs> so I, I don't know if I have to go downtown. Is to it some kind of a wiki, or yeah. <laughs> is it a? You're supposed to register with Ricky Gervais yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on Wikipedia. But yeah, it was about about what time of day it was. Like you can't say what time of day it is. Yeah. Oh, can I say it's nighttime on the internet? No. What, where, what rule is that that says I can't say that? It's literally somewhere always nighttime on the internet. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So, some guy wrote me the other day and he was like, uh, on Twitter, he said, uh, uh, the audio on your podcast is shit. What, you can't afford real equipment? And so, of course, I clicked on his profile. I was laughing and I clicked on his profile and he had one follower. And I literally typed in, but I didn't send it like... And now I see where all your followers went. Like, there's no, <laughs> you so want to, you so want to retaliate, you say something back, and you're like, yeah, ah, yeah you this poor guy, he's got yeah. one follower. He's like, hey, <laughs> poor guy. I, I feel bad for Some him. of our reviews are, on iTunes are hilarious. Some, well, it, you know, what's amazing is, and especially on Twitter, is you'll see some, you'll see similarities in tweets. You'll see like a, a similar kind of negative tweet. And just from a data, just from a, a like a, a statistician standpoint, if you go through, you see striking similarities between the the way people look and the types of responses. Yes. I have a lot. I have a, <laughs> that you get on, on TweetDeck. I have a column that is just Nerdist podcast. Yeah. So every time someone, I should really take it off. I don't know why I do this to myself, but I should just every time someone says something, and you'll see in groups, people are saying that they like a particular thing or there are some weird I mean like you should have a certain person. Twitter as a Twitter as a data tool is fascinating yeah. for that reason alone because you see that sort of like freakonomics like oh these seemingly unrelated uh, data points are actually all have some kind of unifying thing and they yeah. look the same yeah, they have yeah. the same haircuts they follow the same nine UFC fighters <laughs> <laughs> there's probably a tap out logo somewhere on their avatar like it's so fascinating it's yeah. fascinating yeah it's really crazy 
Um, but uh, I want to talk about the Pod F Tomcast because I, you know, I you've been talking about doing it for a while, mm-hmm. and <laughs> for a while. Well, because because <laughs> it's true. Yeah. because it, it was yeah. because rather than just like here, we were like. You know, it, hey, let's just go start talking, and then that's it. But but your, yours is actually going to be a you know you want to do a produced show, yeah. And so that just takes a little more work. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, makes the rest of us look bad. Well, but I, I foolishly announced that I was going to do it right before I had just moved back from uh, from New York and was still like settling into we were still settling into our new house and we were about to get married. And uh, it was a terrible time to embark on some new time-consuming venture that there was just no way that was going to happen. And I put like a, I put a date on it, like in one month or something. And then I <laughs> realized, like, no, it's like there's no way I'm ever going to. I have to figure it out first. I it's not like. No, no, no. I have it all mapped out, storyboarded, and uh, I just have to <laughs> you walk didn't, in. Uh, you didn't write a check to yourself for $10 million? So <laughs> dated for 10, 10 years into the future? Exactly. And I, I put it in Jim Carrey's dad's But, you know, the, 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 the Pod F Tomcast, first of all, you, the graphic for your podcast is stunning. The, the, little, the, little, <laughs> the little iPod face with the 8-bit mustache. <laughs> right. That is gorgeous. That was Mike Mitchell, a uh, very talented artist. The guy the who Coco. did the, the I'm With Coco poster, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, how many episodes have you done? What's your plan with the show? How, like, how, how was the first episode received? The f- I've done one so far. Uh, the first episode was received very, very well. Uh, the response was overwhelmingly positive. Um, you know, the the I read a few negative iTunes reviews, but you know, it's a. Uh, it, uh, it's 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 a form where you really can. I, I love podcasts so much, and I listen to a ton of podcasts. And it's a form where you can do whatever you want. It can be whatever you want it to be. And the way you decide to listen to or not listen to a podcast is whether or not you like it. Mm-hmm. And it's just that simple. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of like that. I, I think I become less. I, I become completely non-judgmental of them. It really is whether I like it or I don't like it. And people like to break it down in reviews like, I like this part, I didn't like that part. And to me, it's like, if I if I like most of it, I will listen to it, right. you know? I, 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 it's weird that I don't even think anymore about... Uh, oh, this segment I I can skip over or whatever. You know what I mean? It's, you it's turned me on to In Our Time with Melvin Bragg. Which, yeah. Which was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which... Uh, it, it, it became too overwhelming because yes. there's so many. There's a backlog. Do you guys know this in our yeah. time with Melvin Bragg? It's it's fantastic. It's it's this uh, British guy from the BBC who sits around with three or four people who are experts on uh, whatever topic they're going to discuss. The most the brainiest scholars it's you could crazy. ever. Like they, Cambridge, yeah. Oxford. Yeah, they'll talk about specific. Uh, say spe- a specific. Uh, 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 thing that happened in history, like the Norman invasion. Yeah, or they'll talk about uh, the concept of friendship. How old is friendship? What evolutionary purpose does it serve? It's literally anything that has happened within the the span of humanity. Yeah. they will cover. Yeah, That's great. And they'll talk about it for an oh. hour, and everyone is brilliant. Yeah, and it's fascinating. And this guy at Melvin Bragg, that uh, how he keeps everybody on topic and on track because sometimes they'll say, "Well, hold on a second, you're getting away from." 
the question that <laughs> I asked. You fucking know which is, I know it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. But the, the the one the one drawback to that podcast is you really have to pay attention. Oh yeah, to yeah. It. You can't drift off. It's yes. I, I I suffered from listening to it while driving. I was like, whoa, 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 no, whoa. Whoa. no, what, absolutely what, not. What happened? No, no, no. When did the uh, where did yeah. the Mongols come from? They're talking about Mongols all of a sudden. I don't know what happened. I it's like, I would listen to that podcast and I'm so backed up, like a year's worth backed up. Oh yeah. Where I would I would say, all right, today I'm gonna do. I'm going to iron a bunch of shirts. So that's perfect because that is a repetitive activity that I don't have to think about. So I can be listening to that completely and doing nothing but that. I'm going to, I'm going to iron like 15 shirts. That'll be, you know, 45 minutes and I will have listened to one episode of that podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I really love the, the, the form and, uh, and it's very, it's very freeing to be able to say, I'm just going to put everything out there. I'm mm-hmm. just going to do – here's all the things that I like. I'm going to put them all into this. Um, I took care to to structure it a certain way um, where uh, I have a little bit – I have like a sketch that I have uh, written specifically <laughs> for the podcast. Right. Um, we were walking here. We were talking about the, the <laughs> nice Andrew Lloyd Webber nice and that came out of uh, <laughs> characters that I had done. When, when Scott Ackerman started doing his uh, Comedy Death Ray radio podcast, um, I would, I started doing characters on that show that were things that I had done uh, on Best Week Ever. Mm-hmm. That I, I've never been a character person, but because of the nature of that show, I would, I would imitate these, these famous people for different uh, bits that we would do on the show. And so Scott said, yeah, if you ever want to come on, uh, you know, as yourself or as a character. And when he said that, it was just as simple as him saying that. I was like, maybe I do want to do a character. Like, that would be fun. You know, and I, I had been, like, fresh off that experience um, and realizing, I don't know when I'm ever going to get a chance to do these voices again, you know. And uh, and so then I started calling in regularly as uh, Ice-T and Andrew Lloyd Webber and the Cake Boss and, you know, stuff <laughs> like that. Um, all stuff that I had done on Best Week Ever. And so when I did the when I started doing the podcast, uh, I realized I want to do that. I definitely want to include that. Um, and then uh, you know I, I do this this live show at Largo uh, at the Coronet in West Hollywood every month. Mm-hmm. I def I record all those shows. I definitely want to use excerpts from from that show so people that that live outside of Los Angeles can hear. You know mm-hmm. this is the kind of thing that I'm doing uh, here. Um, and then I realized I wanted to have a conversational element to it because a lot of the podcasts that I that I enjoy. Are conversational and, uh, <coughs> and they. <laughs> oh, hold so, on a second. What? Well, I, I have something to say. Okay, about is it the coming? Podcast. Okay, okay. It is coming very okay, soon. Okay. So, um, so I thought, okay, I'm gonna do uh, like the sketch. I'll put early on because it's short. Um, the uh, the the um, the the excerpt from the show. I'll kind of stick that in the middle um, because it's it's uh, you know it's a different thing. It's a good place to put it because it's it's a live element in the midst of this uh, recorded thing. And then the conversation I'll leave last because I know that's going to take people time to get into it. Mm-hmm. You know that I start by it's it's a conversation between me and my friend uh, Jen Kirkman, um, uh, who's a, who's a hilarious comedian that I've known for years and we're really close friends. And so uh, she. She's a character, and I thought she's. I enjoy uh, listening to her take on things so much. I'm going to start at the beginning with how we became friends, and then um, from here, and, re- and, and like even just doing that, realizing like, 
okay, next time it'll be a more focused conversation. We'll pick a thing to talk about and then we'll, it'll be like no longer than 10 minutes. Okay. You know? So it's like knowing that, and one of the things that I, that I, that I, I kept in mind as I was doing it was this thing is going to evolve. I don't know what it's going to become, and but here's where best. I'm starting. That yeah. is the best. That is it's the so sl- exciting. And, it's and, so exciting. Because like when people say, because I'm sure they ask us all the time, like, how do I start doing comedy? You're like, <laughs> how just, do I start doing you, comedy? You've gotten that question before, of right? Of course, yes. And it's like, it, you know, it doesn't have to be done when you start. Yes. You just, you just have to start it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's no matter how well you try to plan it. And yeah. I think when we started this show, that was the same thinking of like, oh, I don't have to have a perfectly formed show. We can just start it no yeah. matter what we plan. It's going to change over time yeah. anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like, don't know if it has. But we just like, we, like, we started <laughs> it. We're like, we'll figure it out as we go along. And it's I think we're still doing that. Same. Yeah, I think we're still, <laughs> we're still figuring out. The only thing that's changed is the guests. Yeah, yes. the only thing. It's like but we start you, talking and then go, oh, shit. And then, yeah. And then, and then, but, no, you know, no, you got, it, with a, with a, with a, a conversation-based uh podcast you know there's only i think there's only so much evolution that needs to be done you know what mm-hmm. i mean i because the evolution that happens is you're getting better at doing the thing that you're doing you know what i mean you get less it's very it's very self-conscious the first time you turn on the mics and you're going to sit around you're very conscious of this is being recorded right. you know and so gradually that self-consciousness falls away and you get better conversation because the self-consciousness leaves. And I think that's the evolution that happens in a, in a podcast like this. So, Paul, what is your uh, <laughs> favorite... Uh... I, think, I think we've gotten... <laughs> I think we've gotten better at like, not like stepping over each other. Yeah. Like, uh... <laughs> there you go. Now, may I make? <laughs> I have to make a confession. What happened? I did not initially listen to the Nerdist podcast, <gasps> and let me tell you why. Let him finish. No, it hurts. Let him finish, Chris. I Please. very, I very dumbly assumed that it was going to be some sort of some sort of technical thing. <laughs> <laughs> I really did think. No, but that's not a bad I, assumption. Honestly, it's God. called the Nerdist podcast. That's I, the I, I just on I, went yeah. str- I, I went solely by the name, and I thought, oh, he's gonna like talk about tech stuff, and like I won't understand that. This week, SD cards are up <laughs> sixteen gigabytes. Yay! I did not, I did, to be fair, I didn't think it was gonna be as dry as all that. But <laughs> Cyberduck or fetch, you guys. FTP <laughs> clients in the house. Already lost. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. I know that name is kind of misleading from the. Yeah. You know, if you think of it from that way. So yes, I. But, so I am, I am late to the game that's because okay, I, that's okay. if I had thought about it, I probably would have understood. No, that's a sort of that. That's that's just the name of the thing. Yeah. Necessarily <laughs> like, but it, but I was operating under the assumption that I knew what the term nerdist was all no, about. I, like, no, I, no, I know, I know what I that know. is. No, it's, it's the, everyone knows that word. That's, that's, that's fair. I guess because of the blog, you know, because of the blog, I thought, oh, this is the this is the the audio version. Of the the Nerdist blog, which is one of the reasons why I've tried to expand the blog out, and so the idea is more now, like, you know, we're a partner, like everyone nerds out over something, everyone's obsessive over something, and so, yes. you know, there, I think there's an undertone to this podcast that's like about people's processes and things mm-hmm. that they're obsessing over. And, yes, and, and I have since sort of listened thing. to about half a dozen. Oh, that's uh, cool. Hours. Yeah, 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 and I enjoy it a great deal. Well, thank you, Squee. <laughs> I want. I have one criticism. Please, that John Ham he talks too quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Joke hard, up on that, Mike John. So sexy, we speak up. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, loud is not sexy. <laughs> He's is, used uh, to lavalier microphones. That's what that guy's <laughs> used to. We, we need, he needs a lav mic or a boom mic hanging over <laughs> That's him. right. A fuzzy boom doesn't mic. Have, right. He doesn't have the marriage chip. I read that. <laughs> no. No. A what? A marriage the chip? A marriage chip. John Hamm doesn't have it. To get married. I saw that on the Huffington Post, and then I saw like 14 other blogs pick that up. All, like, you, all you keep saying is the Huffington Post. You're not telling Huffington me what Post? that thing is. Huffington Post. Huffpo? What's, Huff what's a marriage chip? Apparently, it's what uh, people have that makes the them get married. They want to get married. It's what you have, Paul. Marriage yeah, chip. Oh, he's sort of being fun. Yes. Yes. Um, well, would you install that with an optical drive? Yes, he and, you... he and his uh, his lady, Jennifer Westfeld, I think both of them lack that, uh, that software. They've been together a while. Or hardware, as the case may be. That's They've right. been together a while, and she made a movie called Iron Abbey, which uh, was a very enjoyable indie film. That was kind of all about how marriage is not the greatest thing. And it was like, okay, I think I see... This is your philosophy. <laughs> um, this is, I saw that movie before. I think before I, had, I think I had met John in passing a couple times uh, as part of the uh, the larger uh, uh, comedy group in LA, mm -hmm. you know, um, and uh, through through uh, John Schrader, the the comedy uh, Tall John. writer. Tall John. Um, and then we did a we did a, a match game with Jimmy Pardo with 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 him. Yes, and yes, I yes, was yes. I hadn't really talked to him that much before mm -hmm. we did the match game, and he was. Very funny. Very funny. He's a really funny guy. And I had, that was my first time meeting him since uh, Mad Men had started. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first thing he said to me was, oh, I just uh, downloaded your CD. It was really funny. And I was very excited that this was guy this on this great show. Was this, this was impersonal, yeah. Yes. Uh, but he's, he's a super cool guy. Um, and... Uh, is uh, is pretty much always up for 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 fun stuff. Like I, he he happened to be in New York. I think he was doing Thirty Rock in New York when I was hosting Best Week Ever, and um, I I emailed him and say, hey, would you if you're around, you got some time, do you want to come down and just do something on the show? And he goes, yeah. And I very quickly just wrote up these this runner, you know, um, just like this absurd thing had nothing to do with anything. It was not commenting on pop culture at all. There was it, it, like it was a thing that we could use any time. And uh, he came down and like within a half hour, I think it took longer to like put him in put him through makeup than it did to actually shoot the thing. Um, and he did it and was great and left. And it was it was really cool, you know. It so was this, really this really is cool. Best week ever? Yeah, and he was hilarious, you know. And it was uh, just like just him being such a such a sport about that and being up for it. Like I think I think that he has a great um, uh, attitude about work because he he slaved away in relative obscurity, you know, for such a long time. It was like a guy who worked for a while but knew what it was like to not be working, mm -hmm. you know, and then to be on a good thing um, and have people say good things about it uh, and, and really have work that he could sink his teeth into um, and have people acknowledge that he was good at what he was doing. Uh, I, I can tell without him saying this, he's like one of those guys that like, this is all gravy now. You yeah. know, like I am very fortunate to have all these things. He, he knows that this does not happen to everybody all the time. Well, he, de he definitely does not have that attitude. Like if people on a successful show, if you kind of talk about their work, they get a little like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to talk about work. Like he's very much open about yeah. stuff and yeah, yeah, he, yeah. you know he's just a comedy he lover. likes yeah, what he does and he doesn't take it for granted I just love you know? that uh, for the longest time like you see older pictures of him he just looks like a dude he's fucking slick, oh, yeah, yeah, slick yeah, that yeah. hair back and yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. oh yeah. my <laughs> <laughs> like taking the glasses off the nerd girl <laughs> exactly. shaking her hair loose <laughs> she's beautiful <laughs> 
Um, but uh, so, do you? Uh, how how was your experience on Best Week Ever? Because I know you you kind of you uprooted your life and, and moved to New oh, York. Yeah. And, and I I loved doing that show. Uh, it, it was at a terrible time. Um, uh, in terms of the economy where it was starting to affect show business for the first time in recorded history. <laughs> like the, the Great Depression didn't affect show business. You know what I mean? Like they made more movies. Yeah, yeah. Right. But uh, for the first time, networks started to get started to get scared. Like, man, we're not spending money on things like advertising right. what is essentially a brand new show. Right. Because I had done Best Week Ever as a panelist uh in its old format, where it was a bunch of talking heads. They did that for four and a half years. Then they made this dramatic switch to a hosted format, but they didn't tell anybody that they were going to do that. <laughs> so one week, it was the show that uh, the viewers of Best Week Ever enjoyed. And the next week, hey, it's only that one guy now. It is a classic television move, though, where they're just, they're so, you can see networks in panic mode where they're like, nah, duh, put this on. Did you tell anyone about it? It doesn't matter. Just fucking get it on. Oh, it didn't rain this? after a week. Get it off. You put something else on. This didn't even Flash feel, colors. What the, what's so funny was this never felt like panic mode. It felt like, eh, you know what? This show's been going on for a while. Like, we could try something different or we could cancel it. Let's try something different. And so they tried it different. Like that that whole process seemed very calm, you know, and and uh, it did not seem like it was born out of panic whatsoever. It just seemed like, yeah, this thing has been happening for a while. We're, other shows are rating better. And especially on VH1, which is mostly reruns. <laughs> like they have five shows that they just rerun incessantly. So it really was like we're saving so much money uh, with this reality programming where disgusting people try to have sex with each other. <laughs> <laughs> we really are saving a lot of money. We have, I guess we have enough cash that we could, we could do something different with disgusting Best Week Ever. Disgusting ex-celebrities yeah. trying we to have, have sex with each other. We have one show that's the not about... Is. Yeah, yeah. We have one show that's not about monsters trying to procreate. <laughs> what, what say... We do something different with that show and see what happens. And then the experiment was not a success because uh, we didn't automatically have millions of viewers come out of nowhere <laughs> that just discover our show by accident and, right. and be, become in love with it. There's some so, type of osmosis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were like, eh, you know, we gave it a shot. <laughs> no, you didn't. The end. You, you didn't know. really give it a yeah, shot. You didn't really give it a shot. We, we gave it a shot at letting them give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, keeping it on a couple seasons is yeah. giving it a shot. Yeah, but I, I, I had such a good time working on that show. It was, uh, it was so much fun to be uh, writing, producing, and performing comedy on television every single week was a blast. I loved the people that I worked with. Uh, I, 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 it was a, it was a real. Um, I loved the challenge of it, mm -hmm. of of making it as good as it possibly could be. And um, for as many people that that think they knew what we were doing on that show and could be kind of dismissive of it, we endeavored every episode to not just be sarcastic, but to actually make some commentary wherever we could. You know, there was plenty of silliness on that show, absolutely. But my thing always was. Let's 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 like let's go a little bit deeper with this. I know it's silly pop culture and I know we're just we're making fun of stuff that by and large doesn't matter. So let's try and find the thing that does matter in this rather than just Britney Spears still dumb, you know? <laughs> like let's let's try and let's try and make a commentary. Just slip in a little commentary in a funny way. Well, that's society you, as yeah, a whole. Yeah, and you can't you can't have that Britney's dumb approach like I do Chelsea lately all the time and you mm. you can't go on 
and tell the audience, hey, this thing that I've gone out of my way to comment on isn't worthwhile. Like, because you're <laughs> yes, basically telling yes. the audience, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. stupid for yeah. caring yeah. about this. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. stupid for being here. This yeah, whole thing. Right. Is- and people have made that mistake, have gone on that show or shows like that, you know, and made the mistake of saying, who cares about this? Yeah, and then it's people like, are like, ah, well, that's kind of what our whole premise is. Fuck yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. So you, gotta, yeah. you gotta kind of have fun with it. Yeah. You gotta have fun with it. But, yeah. um, and you, there also, uh, you had a, uh, a famous falling out with Weird Al Yankovic on the. <laughs> I was so happy when you guys, when you guys finally oh. mended the bridge. Do you know this story? It sounds it's a, fin- it's a wonderful, it wonderful is, story. So that I hope ridiculous. you don't mind. Like no, no, no. It is. It is now in in the the current hour stand up do, I'm doing is all about is all about work. So it's all different jobs that I've had, uh, you know, on screen and off. You know, um, and uh, uh, there's. <laughs> When, when Best Week Ever was in the multi-panelist format, we shared um, studio space. We shared a wall. Uh, studio space is not correct because we were in an office building. We shared a wall with the I Love the series of programming. I love the 80s. I love the 90s. Um, and so our, the sound would bleed through. So whoever got there first, whichever show got there first that day, had the right to complain about the other show. It was that was dumb, but so it was you guys, you guys weren't so much productions as tenants. <laughs> yes, exactly, and that was that was the only system that we had uh, of dealing with this ridiculous situation. So um, one day, um, one of our crew goes over to tell I love the '90s to keep it down, and the guy comes back and he's kind of giggling. He goes, "Weird Al Yankovic's over there," and I said, "Oh, next time there's noise, let me go over there." And I'll make a bit out of complaining, and it'll be funny. So I go next door, and I make this huge display over uh, over the noise that Weird Al is making. And I'm calling him weird. I'm like, come on, weird! And I'm being as over the top <laughs> as possible. And he's being so apologetic, and I'm like... He doesn't get that I'm kidding around. So I go crazier and crazier, and he still never quite gets it. And then I realize... I have never met this guy before. <laughs> I only thought that I had. I've never met him. And so I walk out. I'm kind of embarrassed and I walk out of there. And I, like, for years and years, I was like, this guy, this, this guy, I yelled at this guy. And he has no idea. And I'm thinking, he must, he must know that I was kidding around. And so I finally <laughs> told you the story. Mm-hmm. And I said, could you... Can you find out if he... You knew I was kidding, right? I, and Chris wrote back to me and said, No, he, he thought you were serious. <laughs> like, at this point, like, years had like, gone by. Oh, man, I felt so bad. Because oh. he's the sweetest guy ever. Oh, the nicest guy and, in the world. And so he really did. <laughs> and so I, 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 felt like, uh, I felt like I was doing some very effective patchwork. And I wrote back and go, Paul, it's all okay with weird. Yeah. It's all... Everything's going to be all right. So that culminated in... Uh, I, I was doing my my Largo show and it was an anniversary show uh, it was the the um, the eighth anniversary of of, of, of doing this show and uh, so since then I, I I talked to Weird Al a bunch of times and and uh, we had we had worked together on different things and uh, and so I told that story in my in my opening monologue and then uh, as, as a big surprise I brought Weird Al out and we hugged in front of everybody and Put the feud behind us, <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that. That is my favorite memory of, of best week ever. Was that that ridiculous time when I thought I had met Weird Al? <laughs> I had in not. Fact, met you him. had just verbally assaulted him. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah, in a yeah, way yeah. That this, he... I was meeting him now for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it wasn't so like you said. You've been doing comedy for over twenty years. Mm-hmm. 
but it wasn't until Impersonal, which is only a couple years old, right? Was it 07? 2007? Yeah. Seven, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That uh, that you actually just sort of compiled. I, I felt like that was your that was your CD of you know what? These are a bunch of old bits that have that I that, that like kind of the A stuff from over the years. I'm just yeah. gonna put it on one thing and just kind of get it out there so that it's actually out there. Yeah, like this is stuff I don't do anymore. And in fact, it's bits it's of people a, request. Yes, absolutely. But in fact, it's a style that I don't really do. Like my style has evolved. Somewhat. Oh, please talk about that for a sec. Like, oh, how, yeah. how have you seen? You know, from the beginning, Paul Tompkins, comedian, Philadelphia, um, in the late '80s, early '90s. What, how was your style different? How'd you evolve? Like, what, what's that? When I first started, I think I, th- I know that I thought I was a lot better than I actually was. But <laughs> I think that I think that you need that a little bit to get started. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. Right. If you knew exactly the level of quality that you were putting out, you would say, "Well, I shouldn't be doing this." Then. <laughs> it's only, it's I should only, go home. It's only in hindsight yeah. where you're like. I said that out Exa- loud. Yeah, exactly. To people. Exactly. But it's you know it's the best you can do at the time. Yeah. And uh, I I I feel like I only really got good at stand up within the last handful of years. Um, I, I I I think that you know I had done it for eight years in Philadelphia, then moved to Los Angeles, and then when I moved here, I started getting into sketch and and uh, and and uh, that sort of performing. And, and a lot more acting uh, stuff. And so I would do stand-up, but I wouldn't really do gigs out of town much. I, I would pretty much just do it in Los Angeles. And I wasn't really paying attention to it, you know? It was it was sort of like I knew that I needed to come up with stuff uh, to do. Like if I was doing the, 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 the weekly show at Largo, I would do that once or twice a month. And the, the sort of rule was that you had to have new stuff when mm-hmm. you went on. And so I would write new stuff for that. But um, I, I would kind of find it on stage and I didn't really – I sort of took stand-up for granted. I didn't, I didn't spend as much time on it as I, as I could have. Did you write stuff down or did you just kind of go up with some premises I would have bullet points, you know. and I, Yeah, and I would kind of figure it out up there, which I still kind of do. Um, but if I, if, I have, if I have a turn of phrase that I really like – I will definitely make sure to, to say that word for word. Mm-hmm. But for, for the most part, I go up with a, with a, a skeleton, you know, and, and, and put the meat on on stage in front of people. Um, but I, but I, it was around the time of, of doing that CD that I realized, wow, I've started paying attention to this more. I, I started taking more road gigs because uh, I didn't have, when I wouldn't have a regular TV gig of any kind, um, I would go hit the clubs, you know. Um, and then I started, that started making me a better comedian was headlining was that, well, you have to be, you have to, you have to, you have to give these people a show, you know, and it's not like, uh, radio style. You can't just mark time. Like you have to really perform because people have paid a lot of money. And you do get a little spoiled in LA because, you know, if you perform a lot, people know who you are. And so you, that it's all gone when you first, when you go up on stage, you're like, oh, it's Paul. I know who he is. I know where, I know what he's about. Yeah. Yeah. There will be like a handful of people that maybe knew who I was, but there was a lot of people that had no idea. And so, uh, I really had to perform and, and, uh, and, and, and trying to do that on my terms, like the way I wanted to be funny, um, to a group of disinterested people was was uh, was a real was a real challenge and what what made it I think what helped me a lot was being in those situations and projecting to people that that were not into what I was doing it's all gonna be okay you guys it's all gonna be okay I know you're not into it just hang in there by the end of this, I will have turned you around. And I had to, I had to believe that myself, you know. I, at the very least, I had to project that to the audience. Like, 
I know you're not on board with this, but you will be, and it's going to be fine. And that actually worked, you know. And then there came a time when I got tired of doing that, right. <laughs> where I didn't want to have to do that anymore. But, you know, because with the clubs, you're, you're, you're up against so much stuff that gets in the way of the show. And, and the analogy I, I like to use that I think is a really apt analogy is that you are the movie. And the the way the club makes money is from the popcorn, you right. know. Um, that's that's their that's their their primary source of income. It is not the guy that it could be any idiot up there on stage. Right. It is really like they are in the restaurant business. You're the only one who's in the comedy business, you know. <laughs> so you have to understand that you're you're doing your comedy in somebody's restaurant. Well, that's you know? why that's why it's refreshing to find a spot like Laughing Skull or Acme in Minneapolis mm-hmm. or like a club where. You feel like, oh, they actually care about the comedians. Yeah. And not just, you know, uh, get up there and keep, you know, stay up there until we drop the check. Yeah. And- but even those places, they still have to deal with. Of course. They got to sell drinks. Of course. They got to sell drinks. And they, as, they can care about comedy all they like. But at the end of the day, if they want to stay in the black, they have to sell booze. While you're up there in the comedy business. Right. Yeah. They're still in the booze business. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's nice when, when one business admires another business. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> they're not actively trying to destroy you, but uh, but they're they're you know it, it's not. It's funny. You're basically we just keep we just basically keep people focused so they can just keep pouring beer in their gullets. Yes, you're, you're, exactly. you're just you're just you're basically. You're you're keeping them in one spot. Yeah. You know. Yeah, um, yeah. Please don't leave. Please, and hopefully, please stay and drink. Please, please stay and drink. And hopefully they'll enjoy it. And hopefully you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. But you do. You're right. You totally forget. Like when people. People say, uh, uh, when someone, whenever I see a comment on the internet about a TV show, it's like, that show totally sold out. Like, it sold out from the beginning because yes. it's television, and yes, television is meant to, exactly. to, to, keep, to keep you watching for ads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Automatically. Yeah, if, they, if you think they sold out, it's because they're trying to stay on the air. <laughs> they're trying to keep their jobs and the jobs of who knows how many people that work on a television but show. But you, you, you have a writing skill with your stand-up that is, that is incredible to me, and, and it's one that I always... Wanted to be able to do. I'm just. It's. I'm just not great at it. But you, uh, within the body of a bit, you can take a tangent onto some some minor detail that almost <laughs> seems accidental, and then all of a sudden you do, you go into that, and that becomes the focus of the bit, and then some tangent on that takes you further. <laughs> Into the bit, it's like levels in Inception, man. <laughs> it's like you're in limbo. Wow. But uh, but but that is a phenomenal way to write, and uh, it's not something that you that I that I, it's just it's not something I see anyone else do. Well, thank you. It, it, a lot of that I, I I must admit is by accident. Um, it it it, it, it I, I feed a lot off of the energy of the crowd, and, and I I like to allow for the possibility of improvisation. So. Uh, I might write like one tangent in there, but where it goes depends on how people respond to the tangent. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like if they're in, if they if they laugh at this weird thing that I threw in there, that's that's ultimately a thing that I think is funny. That I don't necessarily know if the audience is going to think is funny, but I hope they think is funny. You know, like when when you're writing when you're when you're writing stand up, the idea is this is so funny in my head. I. I am reasonably sure that other people will find this funny too. I have to translate it from the language in my head um, where it's just a, it's literally just a thought, you know, it's just a flash that made me laugh. I have to translate that into human speech so that other people (laughs) who don't speak the language that's in my head will understand. And then, okay, I know that uh, if I phrase it this way, uh, this this is how I say funny things. 
People will laugh at that, I'm pretty sure. Then there's other stuff where it's like, I think this is funny, but I don't know if anybody else would ever think this is funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. I gotta, I'm compelled to throw it out there just to see if anybody laughs at that. That's the little tangents. And then if people do laugh at that, then my instinct is always, let's see how far I can push it. Let's oh see what God, I can get out of that's this. That's so amazing you say that because I, you know, I, I, did that, uh, I did a Wired article a couple months ago about the stand-up writing process. Mm-hmm. And I talked to you and, and, and Zach Galifianakis and a handful of people, Bob, Bob Newhart. Mm-hmm. And Newhart's whole thing was he has a – it's just funny to hear this from Bob Newhart. He has a series of bailout points in his bits. <laughs> yes. And he's like, if the bit's up working up to that bailout point, and I then I'll and then I, and I pat and then I'll keep going. Yeah. Then if it stops working, I get out at the next bailout point. Yeah. And then I go home and rework it. So it's funny. That's that really what it comes he, down he's, to, right? He's built in all these trap doors. Yeah. So that yeah. he can just fucking get out well, if he the, needs to. Uh, that, that that is I, I think that's a very uh, elegant way to to express it. It's 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 uh it's pretty much you you keep talking until they stop laughing. And then the next time you talk about the same stuff, you cut out the part where they stop laughing. <laughs> it's a very simple. It's like, I know they will laugh up to this point. Any further than that, they will not laugh. <laughs> I remember actually at that Helium show in Philly all those years ago, you did like a 10-minute chunk on like the talking ape. Uh, and, oh boy, that one! And, I, I tried with that one for a while. I, I, I thought it was, it was like uh, the area I was with was like dying, and then like, but at the end of it, like, because it, it went on for like you know, ten minutes or so, and then like at the very, I, end, I think like, it just felt like ten minutes. <laughs> no, no I, I thought it was great, but then like at the end of it, you're just like, and that one was for me. Back to you. Yeah. <laughs> Back to you. That was yeah. That was a bit that. You know, every once in a while. Well, oh, thank you. Yeah. It, it's it's all, it remains a great premise. Um, every once in a while, there's a thing like that where you think, oh, my God. That's one of those things where, that was so funny in my head. Uh, the idea of a of a, <laughs> if we discovered uh, an actual talking gorilla someplace could speak perfect English and then we bring it to America and put it on television and everything so everybody can see this miracle, you know, this ape can speak English. How long would it take for it to become boring? <laughs> after a while, I'm like, no, nah, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it. Are you going to watch The Talking Ape? No, I've, I've seen him. I've, I feel like I've heard all he had to say. I will tell you exactly how long it would take. In, in our culture now, it would take about three minutes for the YouTube video, and then, and then it would be a cat who's dressed like one of the Sex and the City girls. Right. But talking about like, taking it to the other, like he goes off on a tangent and then like starts talking about then the ape would kind of like as a kind of a washed up celebrity like um, would have its own show. Oh, well, the idea is that... It, it sounds like was, you're describing the situation from Jersey Shore. <laughs> oh, God. Well, you might be right. <laughs> like, afterwards, when people don't care anymore, they're going to be like, Hey, come on! Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're going to lock him in a room for a week and see if uh, all that hair grows back. <laughs> like, you are a gorilla. <laughs> okay. That's going to be the guy's got the me. end of the season. <laughs> it's going to be particularly yeah. sad when he doesn't have abs anymore. It's going to be the oh. situation. It's going to be another kind of situation. It's going to be a, yeah, it's gonna be a sad situation. Yeah. Well, Paula Tompkins, um, we're at the end of our hour. Oh, my God. It, it just flew by. It really did. Um, but I am so thrilled that you came on. And then, and hopefully, you know, you'll come back on again some Anytime. other time. Anytime. Anytime. People should definitely listen to Pod F Tompcast, which yes. is on iTunes. Your website is paulftompkins.com. Mm-hmm. And that is Tompkins with a T-O-M-P-K-I-N-S. There's no H. God love you. And, uh, and then your Twitter uh, account is P.F. Tompkins. That is correct. Um, all of these things are true. All these things are true. <laughs> and then also on Facebook, people should should join the uh, 
the Paula Tompkins 300s. Uh, yeah, if you see if there's one in your town, uh, I'd love to come see you. Well, I should, you know, I'm. St- <laughs> I, I, this, by the time this goes up, I'll, I'll be in beta testing for this social network called the Node, which is oh. all about <clears throat> nerd sourcing, which is basically just crowdsourcing with nerds. <laughs> and so a lot of it will be stuff like, hey, let's get 300 people together and go see Paul, or let's awesome, let's make a thing, and let's let's have a giant group nerd picnic, and you wow, know, it's just this all sounds about, incredible. It should be. Hopefully, it'll be fun. I like that picnic idea too. You want to have a big picnic? Sure. I do with nerds. Let's go have a big pic- <laughs> nerd picnic. <laughs> All of your glasses are setting fire to the grass. I call this dish bits and bites. B I T E S. Uh, it's just alphabets. <laughs> you got me. It's alphabets, but it's ones and zeros for every letter. <laughs> Alphanumeric bits. That's right. Bits. Binary bits. Binary bits. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Or, uh, sorry. <laughs> the end! I remember, uh, I how do you come after binary bits? <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Nerdist Podcast number 33 with Paul F. Tompkins. And I'm already sick of doing that character voice. Uh, hey guys, couple things uh, before I let go of your ears. First of all, I will be performing stand-up comedy at Helium Comedy Club in Philadelphia, hometown of one Paul F. Tompkins, who you might know as recently as seconds ago. Uh, that'll be Wednesday through Saturday, August 25th through 28th. So come on out to that. Say hi after the show, and I'll be like, hi, and you'll be like, hi, and I'll be like, see, we talked about this, and you'll be like, stuff comes true, or whatever. Uh, also, if you're interested in getting information about the social network experiment, The Node, then send us an email at node at nerdist.com. All right, thanks for listening to the Nerdist Podcast number 33. Have a superlative week. Now leaving nerdist.com. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.